Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 45. Today I'm just so excited to be uh, joined by a friend in Christ, a brother in Christ, and none other than Jared Sparks. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Jared is the lead pastor of Christ Church Carbondale in Carbondale, Illinois, uh, a church plant that's, I think, nearing its fourth birthday now, and so they are doing very well. Uh, Jared is an excellent preacher. He's an excellent pastor as well and a resolute studier of the Word. And um, he really has a sense for all of the gospel's implications for the pastor, especially young pastors as they are making their way into new ministries. He's also the host of the Shepherd's Crook podcast and the founder of the Shepherd's Crook ministry, uh, a ministry which seeks to come alongside burdened, troubled pastors in moments of crisis and give them care, counsel, and point them to Christ. I've been so encouraged by Jared's work with the podcast, The Shepherd's Crook, and just, uh, I've been so blessed and encouraged by what he aims to do through that resource, as a resource to pastors who are struggling, uh, pastors who are going through uh, difficult seasons of life and ministry. Uh, so many times I think people forget that pastors uh, go through all the same emotional turmoil that anyone else goes through. They are not immune to life's griefs. Actually, perhaps they might feel them more acutely and intensely. Uh, sometimes I think that's true. And the Shepherd's Crook aims to come alongside such pastors and give them exactly what they need, which is the gospel. Uh, he makes it a practical uh, podcast, one that is very applicable to pastors of any walk of life and uh, in any season of ministry, but I think especially you'll find it uh, beneficial to you if you are enduring a difficult season. Uh, I'm so appreciative of Jared and that ministry that he has uh, gotten off the ground through that podcast. I was so blessed by this conversation. I pray that you will find it similarly uh, encouraging. Uh, before we begin, though, today's show, of course, is brought to you by our uh, presenting sponsor, the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. I am so blessed to uh, be partnering with the CSB. I use the CSB on a daily basis 
as I study uh, for sermons and also uh, study God's Word as I write blogs and whatnot. So uh, I highly encourage you to check out the CSB if you haven't already. Uh, be sure to go to csbible.com if you want to do that. Now, though, for my conversation with Jared Sparks. Enjoy. All right. Well, thank you, Jared. Thanks so much for joining us today, joining me today, and I appreciate you taking out your time to come on and just chat with me for a bit. How are you doing? Brad, I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real honor to be on the show. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and our schedules have finally aligned, so I'm, I'm, I'm praising, praising Jesus for that, brother. <laughs> Amen. That's right. Schedules can get a little hairy, so I'm glad we, glad we <laughs> found the time that worked. This is great. Yes. Well, let's just start with the basics, you know, right off the bat. Um, if you can, just kind of introduce you, yourself, and in, in, in your ministry and, and where God has you right now. Yeah. Well, my name is Jared Sparks. I live in southern Illinois, which is the real part of Illinois. When people think Illinois, they typically think Chicago, but we are a tale of two states. We are in the southern part, so my wife Jordan and I, with our two sons, Ransom and Valor, we live in Carbondale, Illinois the home of the Southern Illinois Salukis, and I get to pastor, be one of the pastors, the co-pastors of Christ Church Carbondale, and we've been there for about, uh, we planted, let's see, January in 20, of 2016, so this is year three uh, plus a few months. Been having a lot of fun with that, and just enjoying life. We, we've we uh, been plugging along, been in ministry, pastoral ministry for about 10 years, and uh, or maybe 11 or 12 years now, I don't know, all the time runs together. Uh, the, you start measuring time in decades instead of by years uh, eventually. But we're just enjoying life, Brad, and having fun. And, and uh, the Shepherd's Crook is going well, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But uh, but anyways, Southern Illinois, Jared Sparks, pastor of Christ Church Carbondale, and, and I've got a great family. So life's good. <laughs> That's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. So wonderful to hear you um, talk about your family. We were just chatting beforehand before we got on here. And it's uh, I think it's just a... It's a testament to God's grace, right, brother, when He gives you and blesses you a good family, and especially when you're in the ministry and, and you're enduring that type of uh, that type of labor. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've been really blessed. I mean, it seems like you have been as well. And so when God gives you an incredible wife and, and kids, it's just a blessing, and it's so much fun. And, and just really, we're in a season where we're just really enjoying enjoying life. Well, that's awesome. Um can you share sort of how you came to know Jesus? Um, I, I love hearing how people uh, experience the gospel, if I can use that phraseology, but uh, because it's usually in some, it's usually different. It's sometimes different how God uh, interacts and intersects in our lives in different ways. So, um, how how did how did Jesus uh, draw you to Himself? Well, I was blessed to grow up in a home of two believing parents. And they had us in church since I was born. I have two little sisters as well. And from the time we were born every week, multiple times a week, we were in the church building, Community of Faith Church in Carterville, Illinois. My mom was the children's church director. And my conversion, I really believe it was when I was five years old. I, all, only, The only thing I knew is that I didn't know Jesus, that I needed Jesus. And, uh, you know, God granted faith and it was expressed and believe that was when Jesus saved me. And the peer pressure in our uh, little community was a good kind of peer pressure. It was to love the Lord and follow Him. And I didn't really understand the grace of God until years later. But understanding the grace of God is, is not a prerequisite for experiencing the grace of God, fortunately. And 
I had experienced it by by God's grace, and He saved me when I was a little boy, and uh, and then you know God really just had a hold of me and spared me from a lot of uh, the the teenage rebellion, the, the the typical things of sex, drugs, rock and roll sort of thing, and then uh, and really got a hold of my heart uh, afresh and anew when I was. 21 years old through the book of Galatians, God's grace really just turned, turned me upside down, the whole world upside down in, in 2004. And, uh, and since then, um, I've just been, uh, loving him, walking with him. And, uh, but when I was five years old, I really do, you know, you kind of go back when you're, you look back over your life and you kind of wonder, okay, was I really converted when I was five or was it when I was 21 or what was that when I, you know, experienced God's grace again and, and kind of light bulbs went off, but the gospel really came alive to me. But I, I really do think I was converted when I was when I was five. And so God's been tremendously grace, gracious to me to, to walk with me through the, through the years. Mm, that's amazing. It's, it's incredible to hear the testimony of, of guys like yourself with, who make a profession of faith that young. And now, like you, you are in the ministry and you're still serving Jesus. And that's an incredible testament to God's um, grace, but when did you feel God's sort of calling you into more of like a, like focusing your ministry call? I guess I I would say. Yeah, well, it was over from uh, the years summers of two thousand three, four, and five. I got to work with a camp organization called Student Life, and Student Life Camp was a summer camp for grade schoolers. They had Student Life for kids, but then they had Student Life Camp for junior high and high school. And uh, the first year I worked was with the with the kids, with the littler kids, grade school age kids, and then with junior high and high schoolers the last two years. And it was over those three summers that God really dropped a, a burden in me to preach, teach the Bible. And any opportunity I got from that point forward, I just took, whether it was children's ministry, whether it was Sunday school, where, just anywhere, um, assisted living homes, just anywhere I had the opportunity to, to teach the Word, I did. And... Those three summers, looking back, were just the three summers that God clearly gave me that burden and called me into ministry. And then just the, after the, those three years, 2007 is when I got to move back to Southern Illinois, and we actually planted a church in the January of 20, 2008, and I started pastoring in 2008. And so it was really quick. I hadn't graduated college. I was very young. But that initial burden to preach the Word was over a three-summer span and really, from that point on, I just knew what what God had called me to, and so uh, was able to to get some people around me that were able to confirm that that call externally. But that internal call really began those three summers. Hmm. Now, it, was it always something to where you knew um, that He was leading you into church planting, or or did it has it shifted for you in those in those years? Well, I kind of got into church planting almost accidentally, not, I mean, theologically, of course, but we had a group of people that were a little bit disgruntled and for good reasons about a church that we were part of growing up. There were some very unhealthy things there. And I just had started talking in, in 2007. It was just really clear July of 2007 and got a real burden from the Lord and I remember literally the day and where I was, I was out West on a trip and just got a great burden to move back to Southern Illinois. It was kind of one of a once in a lifetime, few times in your life where you just know this is what the Lord wants me to do. And you really can't explain it other than just a, a feeling that I, I know it just uh, really was very unique. 
and made some calls and things fell in line and we just moved back and started a church. Now I had been listening to, you know, Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler and a guy down in Texas. And, and so I was familiar, somewhat familiar with church planting and had just read Alexander Strange biblical eldership at, at Driscoll's recommendation. And I was really just a dime a dozen guy back then. I was, I, I we just ate up everything that was coming out of like the resurgence and uh, I say back then, it's just, everybody has a back then, uh, but it was just not really that long ago, but during the, those two thousands, I mean, Driscoll and Chandler, they were all putting out tons of content on the resurgence.com and these Acts 29 boot camps were just eating it. We were just loving it. And so I, we wanted to be an Acts 29 church plant. Darren Patrick is from the town that I grew up in in Marion. And so we, he and I met and we talked and I really looked up to Darren and, and so we, did plant, but it was kind of like we'd wanted to start this alternative worship gathering that was in a unique place that wasn't a church building. And, you know, cause you know, people are burned by the church and church buildings. And so we wanted to be in this, uh, you know, unique building where people would flock to and in, in our mind anyways. And so we started this church and it started off as like a non-church at first. And then we developed an ecclesiology and, and uh, ended up being a church. And that's what happened. And then along the way, that church, we ended up realizing we just needed as a leadership team, we, we really needed as elders, some coaching and some help and some fathering and some, just some guidance from some older pastors. And so our church ended up merging with another church. And then that was one stop among three or four along the way. Then we ended up doing, I was a, a campus pastor for a multi-site church. That was the church we merged into. And so that was a, like a, a multi-site church plant, which was unique. And then I, I transitioned out of ministry there and then really was just kind of done with church planting. I had to kind of put it on the shelf and, and really never wanted to be a part of it again, to be honest. I'm, I'm not an entrepreneurial guy. I'm, I'm more of a historical guy. And a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, people talk about with church planting is you're going to get these high entrepreneurial guys and, and they're just go-getters and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't buy into it. To be honest, I don't buy into any of that stuff. But um we uh, were at a church as I was an associate pastor. My wife and I were there and our, our son was born and really just planned on being at that church for, for the long haul. And then some things happened and things imploded. We were mistreated and uh, unfortunately, and, and even though we had some great relationships and still do have some great relationships from that church, long story short, God just made it unbelievably obvious for us that we were to plant Christ Church Carbondale. It was another one of those instances where uh, I just knew I didn't want to do this at September the 15th of 2015. God just turned on a light bulb. He flipped a switch and the church planting thing just, uh, it just, the ball came off the shelf and, and it was just clear that that was what, what the Lord had for us. And so we just kind of moved into, it, it really wasn't a strategic thing. It was just, uh, we had a group of people to shepherd and pastor and, it just kind of happened. And so from September the 15th to 2015 to January the 23rd of 2016, we were able to receive funding, join networks, uh, get a sending church, get a building for free. And God just kind of put all the pieces together and dotted some I's and crossed some T's. We had a, we had a plurality of elders to begin with and it just, God just put it together. And then we ended up planting the church and that's where we've been since. And so I didn't set out. And maybe at, at first I set out, I wanted to be an, an Acts 29 church planter guy. Uh, again, a dime a dozen guy uh, that, you know, that loved Driscoll and all those sorts of things. And, and then uh, that just kind of died and just, Hey, I want to learn what it means to be a pastor. And then 
when this whole round of church planting happened, we just kind of already had a church and God just gave us people and a place and some structure and some like-minded people. And, and then we've just kind of been gathering since then. And hopefully by God's grace, he, he lets us do this for the long haul in this same place. So we'll, we'll just kind of have to see. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How he kind of has molded you and shaped you and brought you along the journey uh, and put you in the spot where you can feel secure in planting this church. I'll ask you like, as you reflect and you've been at a couple different stops in your quote unquote ministerial career. Um, how do you, as you reflect on them, how do you feel like those have helped shape you and actually help you um, be the church planter, so to speak, that you are now? And, and is there anything that jumps out to you that you'd say, like, I'm so glad I was able to experience that? Yeah, I think as I look back over the last 12 years, there has been four stops and they were in these two and a half year cycles. And this is the fourth post that God has me. And with each of those, really there there were year by year lessons, but also just uh, place by place lessons. And so two, first two and a half years, I, I learned about the sufficiency of the word and the grace of God. It was being overwhelmed by God's grace. And that has continued to stay with me and will be with me to the day I die. And it was the sufficiency of the word. What does God have to say? That was the big thing for those two two and a half years. It didn't matter what uh, anybody else, it didn't matter what I thought, didn't matter what I feel. What does God have to say about this? And that was the lesson that God just beat over my head in the kindest sort of way, was just simply about believing His Word and not being embarrassed by it, and and about the grace of God. So that that first two years, those were the two really big lessons. And then each of those two and a half years carried with it individual lessons. But that was kind of the big uh, place lessons of those those couple years. And then the next place was at a, a church, a multi-site church, a larger church. And I learned some lessons for the positive and the negative. I kind of learned who I wasn't during those couple years. I learned that uh, learned some things about ecclesiology um, that uh, that were shaping for me who I am today. I also picked up a really good thing that I've kind of stopped doing recently, but I want to keep up. In principle, I, I agree with it. But I, I learned over those two and a half years from a really great mentor. I, I got some mentors there, and I, I, I've been able to maintain one of those mentors. But one of the things from the pastor that I, that I learned at that ministry post was about uh, group exegesis. We did group studies for our sermon preparation. And so we would gather around the table, four or five of us, and we would do just group, group uh, you know, expository work. And we would just look at the text and we'd bring our commentaries and, and we'd have our, our Greek studies and Hebrew studies, and we would just go through it together. And we would just ask the question, what does the text say? And it was really helpful to be better preachers, to be gathering or to be gathering together and studying for a sermon together. And you'd be amazed how much eisegesis we bring to a text. And you know this, how we have to weed through that as we're preparing to preach every week. And, oh, yeah, well, that means this. And then you start, you know, reading and studying and getting into commentaries. And and then you realize, like, wait a second, that actually doesn't mean that. And in a group gathering that, that was just really, that was really good. That was, it was really helpful. And, and so I, I still, I don't practice that as much just due to the season of life we're in as a church and um, some of the, the difficulties that come from scheduling and getting the right people around the table. But uh, so there were some good lessons for the positive and negative. And then Ecclesi, you know, just learning that I'm not a multi-site guy. That was a big lesson there of, of really working through some, some issues just with, with church polity and, and what I understand the local church to be. And then I transitioned after that into an associate pastor role. And the I went from kind of like CEO ministry to mom and pop ministry, 
where the pastor and the wife were very much uh, in, in so many ways in control of what goes on within the church. And the wife was the secretary and uh, the pastor's wife was the secretary. And so I, I learned and the pastor there, he had done, he had conducted over like 800 funerals and he was an older gentleman and he really did shine in situations of grief. And I was able to go with him and watch him walk into a room of people just weeping over a death in the family or over losing a child or just over uh, just just really traumatic things and watch him just love on people. And that was really shaping. It was really shaping on what what is pastoral ministry? What does it mean to be a pastor? And that was so helpful in understanding just being with people and walking with people as a part of what it means to be a shepherd. And so this this word shepherd, what does that actually mean? that the Bible uses this metaphor. When Jesus talks about being the chief, when we when Peter references Jesus as the chief shepherd, when we talk about John chapter 10, hirelings versus real shepherds and what, what's going on there, um, that was really, again, just helpful for me to understand and, and grow in what is, a, uh, what is a pastor. And really what's developed into my pastoral priorities and pastoral callings that I talked through on the, uh, with the shepherd's crook developed out of just kind of having two and a half years to grow in my understanding of pastoral ministry during during uh, that third ministry stop. So that place provided opportunity to just simply grow. So my wife and I loved our season of ministry there. And, and then things ended learning a lot of negative lessons in a positive way. So we learned to to in the future, okay, we're never going to repeat this. You know, when you, when you're kind of in a ministry situation that doesn't go well, you have to positively learn from the negative. And those are the sorts of lessons that we got in the, the final stages of our tenure there uh, was was trying to positively look, positively learn from the negative, things that were not going well that we didn't ever want to repeat. And so it's not just learning from you know positive and negative lessons from our parents where we say we want to repeat those things that our parents did and we want to avoid some of the mistakes that they made. That happens also in ministry where you say, okay, I want to repeat that that's biblical that's good i want to do that i want to be that kind of man and then you get these lessons along the way where it's like i never want to be that kind of man i never want to be that kind of pastor and so each one of those you know ministry stops are representative of pieces that that god was doing there it was really seasons of there were some seasons of pain and joy but it was all a part of it man it was just like what god was doing building me as a man and my wife as a woman and us as a couple and and uh and those lessons i continue to you know, to take with me today. And they're still shaping. I'm still looking back and seeing, you know, lessons that God, uh, that God taught me that I didn't even see at the time. And so I'm really, really appreciative of all those, those different ministry stops because they've been really, really shaping. Hmm. Well, it's incredible too, that you get to experience that and have that sort of under your belt, so to speak. And I can testify uh, personally as well to the fact of, you know, having multiple ministry stops is so uh, formative um, as a young guy in ministry, and uh, I uh, have had similar stops, uh, both positive and negative. And uh, it was it's hard to learn from those negative experiences, but then when you kind of put on the uh, the hindsight glasses, so to speak, you can really see how God was shaping and forming and molding you into perhaps a better, not only just a better pastor, but like you said, a better man, a better leader and a, a better disciple too. And it's, it's, you know, it's through the valley of the shadow of death oftentimes when we learn those lessons and, and um, it's, uh, it's 
you can be thankful for them, perhaps not in the moment. And uh, I would say learning from uh, you and Jordan's story, it's, it probably wasn't uh, a happy uh, season. <laughs> and needless to say, I've endured my unhappy seasons in ministry, but you look back at them and learn just how sufficient and how amazing God's grace is in those moments. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That God is just the, the grace of God on display in those seasons of pain has has been so precious. And and those are the things that we take with us as well as well of just seeing the kindness of God in those moments that these things didn't happen to me. They happened for us. You know, this wasn't just to us, but for us. And God has been just tremendously kind. Yeah, that's good. Uh, me and my wife Natalie have felt similar things in the last couple seasons of ministry in the sense that it, it's actually even to another level has helped us even in our marriage because when you endure seasons uh, like that, it forces you to come to a head, so to speak, on what you believe as a couple. And it's it's a, it's a good crucible for strengthening your marriage in the sense that you have to determine uh, as a, a new unit in the Lord what you're going to strive for, what you're going to fight for, and what you're willing to die for in the ministry and in life. And so I think that's it's it, it makes you uh, stronger and makes you and it makes you stronger because you know how weak you are at controlling it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well that's awesome how God used those lessons to form you and shape you. And so uh, what would you say then is sort of the the fundamental sort of message or the the, the crux of Christ church when people come and visit you or when you're out and about talking about your church, how, what do you want your church to be known for? Well, in a very real sense, the finished work of Christ. I mean, that's what we, that's what we need to be reminded of regularly. You know, Paul told Timothy, pastor Paul to pastor Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. You know, this, this is not something that, you know, old pastor Paul to younger pastor Timothy. I mean, Timothy's been in this, been in the ministry. It's in, I mean, it was in second Timothy chapter four, Timothy had been in ministry for a while, been an elder and a pastor, and you want to kind of scratch your head for a second and say, well, did he forget? And I think the very real answer is, well, we do. Yeah, we do. We need to remember Jesus. And the, the fortunate thing is that, that Jesus will never forget us. <laughs> and that's the, that's the astounding thing is that I have a great capacity to forget Jesus from moment to moment, but, but I am on his mind, and he is mine, and I am his. And so as a church, we want to be remembered and known for uh, the finished work of Christ. And so we love the Word of God. We don't want to be embarrassed by God's Word and all of life. And we want to, you know, when we people invite people in, uh, we just want them to experience the presence and the power of God in the gospel of Jesus. And we have a lot of people at our church that love the grace of God. They love Jesus. And they want to know what, um, you know, what the grace of God, how that has impact on our life. And when we walk out and we're on mission, we go to work, when we're parenting, what does God's grace and His Word have to say about this? And uh, so it's been a great joy uh, to see people respond to, you know, the Word of God and the grace of God. And it's, you know, uh, we have decided, like Paul in Corinth, to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And uh, that's what we, we hope to do for the rest of our lives, as long as God would have us at our church. Amen. Amen to that, brother. Uh, and that leads me to, a, it's a nice segue, because uh, you talk about 
on your website, The Shepherd's Crook, just talking about uh, Paul to Timothy, that, that sort of interaction, that interchange that you mentioned just a minute ago, about how Paul is encouraging Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, which sounds so rudimentary, but when you get down to it, it's actually the foundation of what it means to be a disciple. And so um, when you're talking about remembering Jesus Christ, how does that play into your ministry, The Shepherd's Crook? Well, actually, why don't, why don't you just talk about The Shepherd's Crook um, from a larger perspective before answering that question? What What is The Shepherd's Crook, and what kind of led to you uh, wanting and feeling burdened to start this ministry? Well, in, in many ways, it's kind of a natural outworking of conversations I've had over the years. I've always been friends with pastors locally. I've always talked with pastors, got to know them, and they seemed to have a freedom to talk with me. And I was out running one day. I was out going for a run and was just praying and just started thinking about the shepherd's crook. The name just kind of came to me and I just thought about, uh, well, what if I just started working with pastors and just kind of formalize this a little bit? And the thinking was that if, if God would have me do this and if he would give me multiple decades to live on this earth, that if I could get some decades under my belt, years under my belt working with pastors, that when I get into my 50s and 60s, I'm trying to think in multi-generational um, ways here that I don't have to be dependent upon a salary when I become uh, older in ministry, that I don't have to see younger guys as a threat to my livelihood. And so the idea is that if Shepherd's Crook was to grow, then I could one day, it could, it could be, I could be remunerated for it and it would be helpful long-term. But the big idea was I wanted to give, I wanted pastors to remember Jesus. I'd seen all these pastors, friends of mine, burn out, hearing about people falling, not just, uh, you know, on Twitter in the Twitter world, but just locally, just friends of mine that were casualties of ministry and they were self-inflicted wounds. And I see a vision culture. I see a culture in ministry that's, that's really just not healthy of self-promotion and, and people, you know, setting unrealistic goals for, for their life and ministry that are just really ridiculous to be quite honest. And, uh, not taking a long view and just being prisoners of the moment. So long story short, I wanted to start the Shepherd's Crook uh, to talk about the five callings of a pastor. And these things had kind of started developing in me about the seven pastoral priorities that that I kind of put together in a package. And you can check these things out on the Shepherd's Crook and um, and the five callings of a pastor. And, and really, I, I just thought these things were packaged in a way that would be able to help guys out to understand who is a pastor, which is a question that people have. Who am I? I mean, these questions of identity. What as a, as a pastor, am I a pastor first or am I a Christian man first? And kind of untangling those knots of, of identity because you see pastors who either, you know, destroy their family from working so much or uh, just have an affair or just all these things that come with pastoral ministry. And then what does a pastor do? I remember sitting in my office when I was first in ministry. So who is a pastor? Question one, what does a pastor do? I remember sitting in my office and literally asking the question to myself, what the heck am I supposed to be doing right now? I mean, for real, I'm a pastor now. What the heck am I supposed to be doing? Uh, I mean, nobody's staring over my shoulder. Okay, I'm going to study and I need to preach, but there's nobody in the hospital. So should I just go to the hospital right now or... Should I go door to door? Like, what the heck am I supposed to be doing? And the Shepherd's Crook was kind of an outworking of that, of wanting to give people some some clarity on who is a pastor and what does a pastor do. 
and then provide some crisis care, so some counseling. I'd worked as a biblical counselor, and I wanted to offer that at a counseling center, and I wanted to offer that to pastors as well, some confidential care uh, for those that may be dealing with marital crisis or, or a deacon that uh, they had a run-in in conflict with that they needed some resolution with, and they needed you know help navigating that. And so the Shepherd's Crook kind of, kind of came from that. And then the podcast, sort of the podcast, just because I had a lot of things to say about pastoral ministry, and I thought, well, I can put this in article form or I can build a podcast. And and, and so I just did that. And uh, really, it's just kind of grown from there. It's been a lot of fun. and uh, and But that's what I want to help people to do. I want to help people remember Jesus and help them get answers to how does the the remembering of Jesus, the finished work of Christ, how does that help us understand questions, answer and, and understand and answer questions about who is a pastor and what does a pastor do? Hmm. Well, I think that you're... you're the one sort of like arm of the shepherd's crook that which has really spoken to me is this idea of crisis care and management for pastors simply because I think there's this general belief that that doesn't exist for pastors and then except for when it does happen <laughs> it's like we want to think that they are not uh, emotional, emotive beings until they fall or they stumble or they have a moment of crises. And I think that um, it kind of speaks to, I guess, the larger misunderstanding of what a pastor is, which I think is what the Shepherd's Crook is hoping to sort of redefine or re- reshape or perhaps even get back to what it says in Scripture of what a pastor is and, like you said, what he does, which I think is so, so important. Well, yeah, that's huge. I mean, I, we take our guys that, that we're bringing through our pastoral residency or our you know, elders that are in training through a book, a great book on preaching by Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a hero of mine in the faith. And it's a, a book on preaching, Preaching and Preachers. Many have read it. And in it, he talks about, he has this great quote about preaching as being the highest and holiest and best call that anybody could ever be called to. And I remember thinking like, man, preaching is a really great calling, but it's not the greatest calling. I mean, if there are prerequisites in First Timothy 3, if there are prerequisite callings to be qualified to be a pastor, and being a pastor is a great and noble call, that's what First Timothy 3 says, that it is a noble call. But if there's prerequisites, wouldn't it seem true that those prerequisite callings are more noble or of greater nobility than the call to preach? And the reality is that a, that a pastor is somebody, before he's a pastor, a pastor is being, a pastor is cool. I mean, it's, it's great, but it's not nearly as cool as being a Christian. The fact that I'm in Christ is infinitely cooler than being a pastor. And if we don't get that, if we don't stand in awe with our jaw dropped open, that I'm a child of God, are you kidding me? That is so much cooler than being a pastor. I could get shot through the jugular and never, never preach a sermon again, and I'd be okay. I really would. I'm the Lord's. And Pastors need to know that, that before they're a pastor, you are a child of God. And if you don't cultivate basic intimacy with Jesus and know the finished work of Christ on your behalf, then you will not be ministering in a healthy way over the long haul. And so a man is a, a, a pastor is a Christian. He's a husband if he's married, a father, and then a friend on all of those things are before being a pastor. And, and these are questions of identity. Who are you? And if you get these out of whack, because so many pastors do, where the first you know, identifying marker about who I am is I am a pastor. And well, you are, but you're not that first. And so that identity in Christ of, of knowing Christ for me right now is just crucial. It's crucial for manhood. It's crucial for, for, for being in the home in a healthy way. And it's crucial for leading in the church in a healthy way. 
And if you don't get those pieces in order, then it's just a matter of time before things implode in your life and in the local church. Hmm. And that, man, I love that point that you just made, that it's so much cooler to be a Christian than it is to be a pastor. And it, it reminds me of Paul Tripp's book, Dangerous Calling, in which he spends a copious amount of time uh, reminding and, and encouraging pastors uh, to have personal worship before they try and get other people to worship in a church, which is just so important because it, I think it was, it was another guy uh, that I met, his uh, doctor, Alex Early. I remember him saying something about going to your Bible as if it's like a sermon manual. You know, I think so often pastors can get that way, I, myself included, you know. Uh, it, we have this book that we're supposed to expound instead of treating it as if it's a book written for me, it's almost as if it's a, a study ma- a manual or some sort of study guide from which I can uh, derive sermons as opposed to an introspective book that dissects my heart on a daily basis. <laughs> and I think that that for me has really helped to reshape um, who I am as a pastor because when I'm first being dissected by the word and not looking just to use it as a weapon to dissect other people, then it changes how you read it. And I think it changes how you deliver it too. Yes. Amen. Well said. Yeah. Complete agreement over here, brother. Well, and I think too, um, I've, I've grown up in the ministry in in some senses with my dad. He's been a pastor my whole life and my grandfather was a pastor before him. And so I just have this burden for pastors because of the position they're put in where especially in the the, our current cultural climate where they are not allowed to mess up and it kind of speaks to what what we think of pastors as if they're some sort of like bishop on a higher pedestal of spiritual awareness or what have you and that's why I think that ministries like yours and the Shepherd's Crook are so profitable because pastors are human too. And I think that that is, again, that's like remember Jesus Christ. It's so rudimentary, but it's so crucial, I think, to remember that a pastor hasn't figured out the scriptures probably any more than anyone else in your congregation has. They just have had a special calling of God to deliver the scriptures. And so but this this idea that pastors can mess up and the ministry of the gospel can still continue, perhaps not with them at the forefront, but it can still continue and it still does continue. Yeah, yeah, we are we are tremendously replaceable, and that doesn't mean that we're not valuable. That doesn't mean that we're not a part of the body of Christ. But even thinking about our church locally, uh, when I say even our church, the the thing that God is God is using our elder body to plant a church that will be in this community when we're dead and gone. We're just, we're names that are being used to plant a church in Carbondale. Um, and, and thinking about that, it can be tremendously helpful that, that God is, is, is bigger than me. I mean, he's, he's using us to, to do something, but we are not the crux of his work. And with ministry, you're exactly right. There, the Shepherd's Crook exists for a lot of for 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 kind of a unique situation for a pastor who doesn't have a plurality of elders. I'm trying to always work myself out of when I'm counseling with pastors. I'm trying to work myself out of counseling them. I want to put them put them in a situation where they have local care, 
where they're having local care, where they have people who know them. Because so often in a local church, pastors have bought the lie and churches have uh, propagated this lie that we have to be surface level with everybody, that pastors can know everybody like a thousand miles wide, but they can't know, they have to know everybody just only an inch deep. And when you know everybody, kind of, but don't actually know anybody local, well, then it is a recipe for disaster because you don't know anybody actually, and you are not actually known by anybody. And so a lot of pastor failure comes uh, as a result of not having real friends local, not having real authentic relationship local with people in their church, because the church and the environment there is one in which you're exactly right, where we, we have to put the face on, we have to I've got to be the answer man. I've got to be the one that knows everybody's kids' names and the dog's name. But when you begin to really ask questions, that pastor is living on an island. And he can't, he doesn't feel like confess sin to anybody. And so he feels alone and lonely. And that's why loneliness in the pastorate is an epidemic. And I don't think it has to be. If you have a plurality of real elders, you can have real local care and then very rarely do you have to outsource that local care once you get it. But pastors who don't have that local care, they really do need it. And that's where I see the shepherd's crook coming in and saying, hey, I want to help you for a season. And then I want to push you by the grace of God to get some local care where you never have to talk to me again. And uh, it's a process and it's a slow process. But but fortunately, by God's grace, we're seeing some, you know, some some good things happen. Mm. Well, that's so incredible. And that, I, I love that mentality that you are tremendously replaceable and i go back to this because it's been so formative for me um back my grandfather he was in ministry for over 50 years or or so and he he passed away at the end of 2016 and i remember when i was um trying to i I gave like a eulogy at his funeral and I, i remember as i was trying to reflect on what his life was about and such there was this idea, well, because he, my past, uh, my grandfather, he pastored at one time two churches at once, and he was also like a, you know, a, a principal at a school, and like he was just doing all these incredible things, and yet he doesn't have like a statue in honor of him or like a building named after him or or anything like that. He doesn't have an incredible, you know, blog to carry on his ministry name or whatever, and. But he did it anyways, and I just think about that i that idea that he was just quietly, fervently faithful to whatever God had put before him, and to me that that really kind of brings down the allure of what pastoral ministry is, because I think nowadays it can be sometimes kind of sexy to be a pastor with your Twitter followers and incredible blog to. Uh, to talk about stuff and whatever, and, and those are all well and good and nice, but uh, we are tremendously replaceable in this campaign for, of grace, and uh, it's it's a it's a breath of fresh air to be reminded of that. On that note, Jared, um, one of your blogs for the Gospel Post, you you wrote that um, a pastor kind of has to discover that preaching is making sure you have nothing to say. Can you kind of uh, explain what you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, when I first got into preaching, first expressing a desire to preach, I had a, a well-intentioned man who actually is now an executive pastor at a large church, and I think he would correct himself now. But I, And I get, to an extent, what he was saying, but 
He said, Jared, if you want to preach, you got to make sure you have something to say. And that stuck with me. And as I've got into preaching more and more over the years, I've realized that preaching is actually the opposite of that. It's actually making sure you have nothing to say. And because God's word is enough and God's word is sufficient. And preachers are not those who get up and rant and ramble about what they think or what they feel. They're not those who get up and use the Bible to preach because there's a massive difference between preaching the word and using the Bible to preach. And you can actually preach some uh, very preachable sermons by using the Bible to preach. But that's not the same thing. We are called to be heralds of God's word, not heralds of our word. And in the end, people don't need to hear what I think or what I feel or what I, my opinion on is on a topic. Good preaching is getting out of the way of the word, and it's pointing to what God has to say. And it's about sitting under the very authority of the word you're standing up to preach. And so each week when I get up, or majority of weeks, I'll tell the people that, hey, listen, I'm sitting under the very authority of, um, that I'm preaching, the word that I'm preaching. And so as a preacher and as anybody that's out here that's preaching God's word, our responsibility is making sure we have nothing to say. Uh, God has said enough, and we need to point and proclaim that word. Wow. Amen to that. Well, Jared, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, if you want to just remind all of the listeners kind of where they can find you and find out more information about Shepherd's Crook. Yeah. Well, thanks, Brad, for that chance to say that. If you want to find more about the Shepherd's Crook, you can go to the shepherdscrook.co and you can find the podcast and articles and stuff like that. And I do write at themagistiesmen.com backslash gospel post. You can find articles there as well. And so if you want to find me at Twitter, it's at Jared Sparks. And I think that pretty much covers it. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for your time, Jared. I know you got a lot going on, but I'm praying for you, praying for your ministry, praying for God to really use you in Southern Illinois for the sake of his kingdom. Thanks for your time and thanks for coming on today. Amen. Thanks, Brad. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And uh, maybe we can do this again sometime. I would love it. Let's do it. Thanks for Jared for coming on the show today. But that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify. And thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring this show. And thank you as always for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.